We have two scripture readings this morning. The first is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And our second reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Well, throughout the season of Advent, we reflect on the extravagant gift of Jesus. And we reflect on the fact that the giving always starts with God. We love because He first loved us. The birth we celebrate at Christmas is forever united to the death we remember at Easter. The Jesus in the manger is the same Jesus that will hang on a cross. But far from taking away from the joy of this morning or of this season, knowing where the story goes explains why Jesus' lowly birth truly was good news of great joy. And so this morning we're going to share in communion together when his people are confronted by God. The Old Testament prophet Micah imagines them asking a series of rhetorical questions. Maybe they're asking Micah these questions, maybe they're posed to God. But these are how the questions go. With what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him? with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Each suggestion is a little more extreme, right? A calf, thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, should I even go as far as to offer my firstborn? You get the sense that the people are saying, it's just impossible to please this God. But God never was after impressive offerings or self-denying acts of grandeur. That's not the point of it. And so the response comes, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. No, God doesn't require burnt offerings, not 10,000 rivers of oil, and God certainly doesn't require that we offer our firstborn for our transgressions. Now, what Micah could not have imagined at the time was that some 800 years later, this most extreme of all scenarios, offering my firstborn for the transgressions of my soul, that it would actually play out in the little town of Bethlehem. God gave us the gift of his son, first in the manger, which is what we remember at this time of year, and ultimately 
on the cross. And so we hear these questions again. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with 10,000 rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And today we hear God saying, no, I'll do that for you. And so we share this bread. We take it together remembering the body of Jesus that we celebrate in the incarnation of Christmas, but also the body that was broken for us. Let's share together. Lord, we give thanks for the gift that you offered, that we could never offer, that we weren't even willing to offer. We're grateful that you were willing to offer yourself for us. And we have this cup that reminds us of the sacrifice that would have been made by God's people for so long to symbolize the need for blood to purify their sin. And, and we remember that Jesus did that once for all of us. And so we drink this together with thanksgiving. God, at a time of year where so much focus is on gifts, giving and receiving, we remember the amazing gift that you have given to us in your Son. And we receive it this morning with thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Advent is a season of anticipations. We patiently anticipate the arrival of Jesus. We do that as we read through the birth narratives. We imagine ourselves being uh, Mary and Joseph. We imagine ourselves being the people of Israel at that time, awaiting someone who would come and, and save them from their dire circumstances. We do that through our present circumstances as we wait patiently for Christmas to come. And it's only a couple of days away, so we don't have to be that patient anymore. But we try to reenact it. And then we try to do it with respect to our future as well, realizing that the future is wide open. And so regardless of what it is that we're looking forward to and anticipating, we have to do it with patience. Kind of like waiting for the last installment of the Star Wars series that I went to see last night. Oh, my goodness. Now, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to tell the, all the spoilers right now. So, no, I'm kidding. I won't do that. But it's like you wait for like you wait for years, and then you realize. I, you know, I went with a couple of friends last night, and uh, who we've gone to see every like premiere for over twenty years now. And it's like you just look forward. And last night, right before it started, I turned to my one friend and I said, like, this is the last time we'll we'll sit here for a premiere. Like this is just you just look forward to things for so long, for so long. Well, our reading from Luke, uh, not the Star Wars Luke, uh, begins with details about a census. That required a young man and an even younger woman to make a long journey to his ancestral home in Bethlehem. And we read that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now the thing about babies is that they don't care much for our convenience, do they? When they want to be born, they're born. It's like, here we are. And so I, well, one of the things I'll look forward to in a couple of days is the annual tradition on Melissa's side of the family of complaining uh, about something that happened on the Christmas Eve uh, 19 years ago. See, uh, our son, our oldest son, Owen, was born on Christmas Day. And, uh, and basically every year now what happens is this family retells the story of how their Christmas dinner was interrupted by the phone call. We had just finished setting the table. All the food was steaming hot. We were sitting down to eat. And then the phone rings. Oh, my goodness. We had to put put all the food away. A child is being born. Who cares about the food? Oh, no, but then they get to the hospital, and I was wrong about the time. They had to wait for like an hour. So every year I listen to this story, and and the, the food gets warmer and colder every time, and the waiting time gets longer and more boring every year. It's the way that it goes. 
Well, there's nothing convenient about Mary's pregnancy, and there would be nothing convenient about her delivery either. And yet, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. But Jesus' birth was about so much more than conception, pregnancy, delivery, birth. It was about so much more than that. And yet we read, even knowing the significance of what was taking place, that she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, which is a trough that animals would have eaten out of, because there was no room for them in the inn. And I was thinking about this phrase, she wrapped him in cloths, and and it reminded me of those, those generic hospital blankets. And it's like a leveling. Like, it doesn't matter who you're going to be in your life. You get one of those blankets. It doesn't matter how rich your family is, how poor they are. It doesn't matter how successful or known you'll be or how inconsequential you will be publicly. It doesn't matter. Everyone gets the white blanket with the pink and the blue trim. And I think that if Jesus would have been born today, that's kind of what it would have said. It would have said, you know, she gave birth and wrapped him in one of those generic hospital blankets. It was nothing special. It was just normal. Just another birth. And yet it wasn't just another birth. John's gospel, he takes a different angle. He doesn't talk about uh, the animals and the stable and the rest of it. He talks about the light of the world. He talks about the word becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. The word being uh, this sense for like the, the, the ground of all being, the, this concept, this idea that is beyond our imagination, this one God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And there's this word that, that comes out. It's not in this verse, but there's an idea tucked away. It's a Greek word, kenosis, which means self-emptying. It's like this, the word took on flesh. The ground of all being took on human flesh. And in order to do that, God had to empty God's self of that. I was thinking about this when I was chatting with a, a friend of mine last week. We had a Skype call, and uh, as soon as he logged on, I started laughing, and I was like, James, so we have a picture. I took a screenshot of him without him knowing. I said, James, I said, I'm just laughing to myself right now. I said, most of the times when I, like, Skype with, like, a pastor friend of mine, they, they position the computer in a way that the, the camera captures their bookshelves, which you have done, but normally their bookshelves are really impressive. Like, they are just big and wide and packed with books, and, and I'm like, wow, like, look at how smart they are or whatever. I said, dude, like, you have, like, six books on your shelf. This is just awesome. I love it. And he had a good laugh about that. And this idea of, like, God, like, emptying himself, if you kind of try to imagine what that would be, right? Uh, we just sang these words earlier, veiled in flesh, all right? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Now, I don't know if we can even imagine a version of this story without the self-emptying. Like, what would have happened? How, do you, how does Mary give birth to someone who has not emptied himself? How does, how does God appear on the scene of our earth without emptying something? There's a story back in Exodus chapter 33, verse 22 to 23, that gives us a sense of how impossible this is. Uh, So God is speaking to Moses and says, When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Like this is who people understood God to be. God is like, you can't look at my face. And so there's there's a sense that for God to show up in our midst, he's got to empty himself. He's got to take on our own flesh. And yet... Again, in John's gospel, Jesus would one day say as he sat around with his followers, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, which is a beautiful picture. This isn't looking at God's back as he passes by. This is looking 
at God in the face in the form of Jesus. The incarnation, God taking on flesh, was the ultimate expression of humility, but it also was meant to establish a pattern for us to follow. You see, the second part of our reading was written 60 years after the Bethlehem birth as Jesus' followers grappled with exactly what it meant to follow him. And so Paul writes to the Philippian believers, in your relationships with one another, this is real practical stuff here, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And there's that word kenosis again. He made himself nothing, this, this idea of like emptying. God emptied so much of who God is in order to take on this human form. Eugene Peterson translates it in the message this way. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. Because just being human is humbling, isn't it? Just being human. Last week I told a story about how I smiled at someone and it made them happy, and I promised that I would tell a, a worse story today. So this one also happened while shopping, and uh, it was basically, Melissa asked me to meet her at the mall, and I walked into the mall. I, I don't enjoy the mall. I mean, who really enjoys the mall at Christmas? I don't think anyone does. And so, but she wanted me to try on this pair of jeans. She's like, oh, maybe you should try on this pair of jeans. And I did not want to do this. I was tired. I didn't have a good night's sleep. I was wearing a jacket in the mall. They have the, it's like Florida in the mall, and we're all walking around with winter jackets and gloves and toques on. Anyways, and I'm standing, I'm just like, whatever. And the sales girl comes up, and she starts doing her little pitch. Now, normally, I'm a friendly person. I know that it sucks to work retail for a lot of people, so I try to be really friendly. But she starts talking to me, and I basically was like, yeah, yeah. And she was like, oh. And she kind of like walked away. And I got a talking to from my wife when we left the store. She's like, what is the matter with you? And I was just like, yeah, I mean, sometimes being human just is not easy. Sometimes like just being tired, sometimes being hot, it's just not easy. And you try to be one thing, but you're not. And it's difficult. Being human can be challenging. But one of the great, if unexpected, gifts of the incarnation is an affirmation that it's all right, believe it or not, to be human. It's all right to make mistakes. It's all right to struggle. It's all right to be tired. It's all right to just wrestle with this stuff. The humble circumstances surrounding God being made in human likeness were repeated throughout Jesus' self-denying other-centered life. He took on the same flesh that we do with all of its issues, and he lived a life that we are challenged to emulate. It's this life of his that Paul calls us to imitate in our relationships with one another. As Miroslav Volf writes, echoing in our everyday acts the Christ who came in humility. And so here's the challenge for us, right? Christmas is in one sense about like honoring and worshiping and, and praising this God who came in this humble, most humble of all ways, but it's also this, this call, this invitation um, to live in imitation of this to echo in our own everyday acts the Christ who came in humility. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And so some questions for us to ask ourselves, which we'll discuss around tables in a few minutes' time. But even for those who won't join us for discussion, some questions for you to think about. Are we willing to lay down our own advantages? Maybe even before that question, what are the advantages that we have over other people? And are we willing to lay those advantages down? And then further, what would it look like for us to use our advantages for the sake of others? So what are our advantages? Are we willing to lay them down? Are we willing to put them to use for the sake of others? Jesus didn't give up who he was 
but he did give up what he could gain from who he was. That's the important part of what Paul's saying here, right, in this passage. He didn't consider this equality with God something that he should use to his advantage, but he humbled himself. There's a danger in being unaware of what our advantages are, of what our positions of power are. I found this image. I thought this was a good idea. Like, if you're, if you're this guy and you're trying to win this arm wrestling match, well, you end up putting a child in the hospital, right? Like, he would snap that arm like a toothpick. But he's understanding, like, no, like, that's not what we're doing here. We're having fun. We're having a good time, right? And so, like, when we have advantages, when we're in a better situation than someone, do we look at it, like, as an opportunity to show how great we are, how powerful we are, how much our advantages are? Or do we look at it as an opportunity to be a blessing to the people around us? We're told that Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. And so the question, are we willing to adopt the posture of a servant of the people around us? Last couple months, we've been talking about this network of churches that uh, we've been tracking with as a staff and steering committee called Jesus Collective. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I'm intrigued by these people was at an event that we attended in October. And evidently, the room that they were using was going to be used for another meeting soon after. So uh, as they had kind of wrapped up the gathering formally, we were standing around talking, all of us who were attending. And then a bunch of people started kind of in a flurry transitioning the room. And I looked over and I saw like the lead pastor of this giant church in Oakville, rolling out tables and stacking chairs. And I'm like, you know what? I want to be connected with a person like that. Like, that's the kind of person who who doesn't sit there and say, well, other people will do this work for me, but says, she's like, no, I'm going to roll this stuff out. I'm going to do the hard work myself. I was like, yeah, that's taking on the very nature of a servant. And that's all we have to do. You see, we don't need advantages. We don't need to have a lot to offer in order to offer something to the people around us. Richard Rohr said it beautifully. I am precisely the gift God wants in full and humble surrender. What does God ask for us? He asks for ourselves, just to make ourselves available to the world around us. The incarnation and our echoes of it is about living for the sake of others allowing the flow of God's good gifts to keep on flowing out into the world around us. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That was Paul's advice for how the Philippians should live out their faith in Jesus. Over this month, we've been talking about this this book written by Kent Annan called Slow Kingdom Coming. He says that who we are determines how we act, and how we act determines who we are. As we do justice, love mercy and walk humbly in the world. So let your life be an echo of the Christ who came in humility on that first Christmas night. Throughout the season of Advent, we reflect on the extravagant gift of Jesus and how the giving always starts with God. We love because God first loved us. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to close this part of our service by singing a song. Some of you who were here for our worship night a couple of weeks ago, this will be familiar to. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing the song. It's called Jesus Beautiful. And, And the lyrics speak of this incredible gift of God becoming one of us. And so I ask you to to sing this as an expression of just thanks and wonder for the gift that God has given us and also as a commitment to live out as an echo of this good gift. God, this is who you are, and this is what this time of year is about. And so as we sing these words, we ask that you would help them to to echo in our hearts and in our minds over the next couple of days as we prepare to celebrate your arrival and all that it means for our world and for us. 
God, help us to focus on who you are and on who you call us to be. And God, I pray for those who would be traveling this season who won't be able to join us on Christmas Eve, and I pray that wherever they are, they would know that they're part of a community uh, that is committed to living in light of the incarnation. So God, we give thanks. We pray that you be with us as we gather around tables, as we mull over these questions and these ideas, and as we put them to play in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.